not being received well if they show up on somebody's doorstep in a Huey Newton outfit. Oh. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So what? Sorry. When I say Black Panther, I mean like the Marvel comic book. Oh, oh, that's. <laughs> oh, I thought you. That's why you looking at me crazy. I thought you. Was talking, I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was talking about the Black Panther Party. That's why I laughed so hard at the beginning of the question. I was like, damn, you brought the heat this time, boy. Okay, okay. On a lighter note. Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr., and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. Season three, episode one. No, we're on episode two. (laughs) Oh, shoot. Well, we're going to keep this in, Mike, so just keep it going. (laughs) I want want the world to see how incompetent Emily's co-host is. But um, yeah, season three, episode two. This is a debrief episode when we talk about the brilliant Bobby Lefebvre and what came up for us with his um, episode. And so as we go further, I just want to also say this. This is the, I don't think we've said this in a while, Emily. This is the thoughts. And we've worked hard on building a relationship that we can go back and volley ideas and and elicit certain topics from each other and push back. And so Emily has my trust to question me on certain things dealing with race and culture and history. And I can be unapologetic with her as well. And so please make sure that you have that historical background with a person before you just dive into um, getting some historical background or on race, culture, and um, history. Just a disclaimer. Good call. We haven't said that for a while. Yeah, this is it. Our conversation is based on an invitation that we've given to each other and the trust that we've built. And that's really important. So thank you for re-mentioning that, Courtney. <laughs> so before we talk about our time with Bobby Lefebvre, Colorado Poet Laureate, a couple things about this upcoming season. Well, actually, one, one thing about this upcoming season. And then, Courtney, I have a question for you. So... Something new that we're going to throw in this season, (laughs) by saying this, we are now committed to it, is we're going to start to do some mini episodes, some mini-sodes, where we're answering a question that's more specific around the world of DEI work that Courtney and I are both immersed in. So little kind of, you know, quick episodes, you can listen to them on the way to work. So keep an eye out for those. Um, We'll be kind of sprinkling those in around season three. But yeah, we're just kind of wanting to give more depth, lift up the curtain to some of the methodology and, you know, frameworks and mindsets that we use just kind of naturally in the work that we're doing together. So there've been some requests for that. So we are, we're listening. So Courtney, my question for you It is, you know, by the time we're releasing this, it's almost Halloween. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to share your thoughts on whether it's okay for white kids to dress up as a Black Panther. (laughs) 
damn near blackface, ain't it? You, you <laughs> <laughs> That's the question. That's okay. the question. What do you what's your feeling? And I can share my thoughts afterwards too. They're not really fully formed, but just kind of like the disclaimer that we give. If you have a relationship with a culture, if you have an understanding of what you're doing, why you're doing it, and a respect for something that you're you're imitating, I personally no, I don't see a problem with it. However, if you don't understand the historical significance of, or you haven't to- told your kids the historical significance of the Black Panthers, the Black Panther Party, and all of the individuals that lost their lives fighting for, for justice and how powerful they were for a community, not only a community of Black individuals, just individuals who were suppressed in, during that time. No, I, it, it's not appropriate to appropriate and make fun of um, something that is powerful. The Black Panther Party is a powerful movement type organization. And so to make light of the deaths and the organization in a way without their respect, no, I don't think it's appropriate at all. And I laugh because I, I can just see um, white kids and, and, and <laughs> communities of color just not being received well if they show up on somebody's doorstep in a Huey Newton outfit. Or... Oh. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So, what? sorry. When I say Black Panther, I mean like the Marvel comic book. Chadwick oh, oh, that's just, <laughs> oh, I thought you would. That's why you looking at me crazy. I thought you. Was talk- I was like, yeah, OK. <laughs> yeah, I was talking about the Black Panther Party. I was I was talking about. Right. The, yeah. No, that would be. That's why I, I laugh. I hope that parents aren't even yeah. asking that question. <laughs> That's why I laughed so hard at the beginning of the question. I was like, oh, Damn, okay. you brought the heat this time. Boy. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. On a lighter note. Um, On a lighter note, yeah. superheroes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's no coincidence that that superhero is named Black Panther. I mean, there's a historical. Yeah. But what do you think of Marvel comic books, Black Panther? Again? I think the mental capacity of children to understand is a lot of times is lost on parents. Um, we feel like oh, they're just kids. They don't understand. They're just having fun. No, we should always take every opportunity to educate. Why was Black Panther such as a hit? It was because there was never, there was not really representation as a superhero of a black person. And so that historically, again, is another opportunity for individuals who feel as though they're allies individuals who feel as though they're abolitionists or who just feel progressive and and want to do DEI work, uh, a great opportunity to educate um, their children and individuals who who are are with them about some historical significant um, figures and things in our culture. And so Black Panther was a great thing because it gave, again, representation. It, It showed representation where there was none for a while when it came to superheroes and things like that. Yeah. I mean, it was such a powerful, I love watching the images, listening to people's responses to Black Panther. Like it was such a powerful moment in Black history, it feels like. And there was an an article I just read about this question that showed his actual suit is now in the Smithsonian um, Museum of African American History, or F- I don't know the exact title of it, but it's like wow, like that tells you that's dope the significance, you know, the actual 3D printed suit. I love that. 
Yeah, it's. A, I think it's a really interesting question and an important one for society to kind of grind on a little bit. Because certainly, if I if I saw a kid walking around in a indigenous chief suit or something like that, you know, I would be like, oh, that's offensive. And some people are saying, like, you know, my black kid has been dressing up like Superman forever. So this is fine. Like it's an exchange. But what concerns me about that is the idea it's that it's an equal exchange, that these groups have been in equal relations. So you can have an equal exchange. And that's just not the history of it. And it kind of feels like reverse racism, like the claim of reverse racism of like, but you know, people can be racist against white people. And it's like, well, no, because white people hold the power. So, um, and now that's a question between equality and equity. And and so I think, again, we live in a world where historically things have been exploited for people of color. And so when it comes to a culture, like say clothing or say everybody wants to be black until it's time to be black. Everyone wants to be Hispanic or everyone wants to be a person of color until it's time to, to embrace the whole personhood, the whole person, you know? And so when you appropriate certain things, that is the issue for me. So on its face, yeah, but then if you get to know the person and you talk to the person, like I said, yeah, and, and, they, and they are known for educating their children or anyone with them, black, white, green, and yellow, if they're giving respect to the Black Panthers, the comic book hero, um, I think it's it's cool to show that love because I didn't even know there, it was an African-American or the Smithsonian Museum or whatever museum it's in, you know? And so that's amazing. That would be, that's amazing. What I would worry about, and maybe this is just <laughs> reflects, I care too much about what other people are doing. Like, let's say I had a white kid who wanted to dress up as Black Panther. I educated around why this movie was so important, why it's historically relevant, you know, why the imagery is so key and the culture in Wakanda is so key. And then my kid's out in the street and then it kind of like normalizes it for other families. Oh, okay. I guess it's okay to do that. And then other people do it without the education piece. So that's where I get a little bit stuck, you know, like if, Am I normalizing something? Because we're not going to walk around being like, I educated my kid, you know, <laughs> each house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. But again, just like every black person is not a monolith, every white person is not a monolith. You know, every white person should take responsibility. And because we are in a culture where, yes, white people, for the most part, do appropriate certain things, it's going to take those brave white individuals to go out there and, and say, you know what? If you want to know why I dress my child up, ask me. But I know what I do in my house, and and that's why I'm comfortable enough to to do that. I mean, you're comfortable enough to walk with me through Boulder. You're comfortable enough if, if we started going on the road to to sit in the hot seat next to me because and not really worry about like, why the hell is she with that dude with the hoodie on? Oh, my God. That white woman is over here walking with this guy. She's, oh, is she okay? Is she unsafe? Like, you don't care about that, but that's a reality, you know? And so it's like that with your children. Once you have done your part, it's up to, because your kids are going to start talking now. 
when they're talking to their kids at school, yeah, I can dress like this because did you know that Wakanda represents this and Black Panther was the first black superhero? Did you know that da 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 da? At the end of the day, you've started a ripple effect. You've started that change, a trend of people appropriating things in your in your daughters. And that's amazing, you know? And so I, I, I think just like us right now, you've started something because I, I it's not lost on me that when if if we're seen together in certain areas, it's gonna eyebrows will be raised. It's not lost on me, you know? But you've stepped out there in courage with me along this walk. So you and your are blazing a trail of equality and equity and you're just being you. You're being curious. You're you're wanting to change a culture towards more progressive thought and equity. So you're even doing that. And then, so I think that's, that's, that's cool as well. That's interesting. It's actually, <laughs> it kind of brings me back to season two, episode one, when we were talking with your sister about the shoulds and, you know, navigating the shoulds and kind of, you know, your family is really has an amazing ability to just step out and just be like, this is, this is who I am. This is how I'm doing things. And I love that. And uh, yeah, something for me to continually learn from. So I appreciate you bringing that up. You're doing a good job there, Emily. You're doing a good job. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. So first of all, I mean, I I wrote him an email after he spoke to us. So for people who don't know Bobby Lefebvre, he is a, a poet, a performer, a cultural worker. He has been featured all over the place, New York Times, Huffington Post. He's award winner. I mean, just incredible. And in 2019, Governor Polis here in Colorado named him the eighth poet laureate, making him the youngest and first person of color ever to be appointed to this position. And he spoke to us about this idea of radical imagination and how radical imagination fits into racial justice work. And my goodness, the way that he spoke, like it was, ugh, his words, like it kind of struck me more even when I like re-listened to the episode. I was like, wow, like I'm just like this brick interacting with art, <laughs> you know, like he's. When you meet someone that does what they say they do, like I'm in awe. It's you know, the real deal. Yeah, he's the real deal. He's the real you know, deal. He's not like, yeah, I do this, um, but I do this part time. No, it's a, it was just amazing to see the artist doing his thing and and how he spoke about art and activism gave me chills. Like I sat back after we ended the call for like ten minutes, just in silence, like reflecting on the Elijah McClain poem and and just how he talked about his obligation as an artist and he doesn't care really about the accolades and more about the the radical imagination um, and it's just like he was brilliant and i really appreciate that the coalescing of art and activism because that's how i feel like my work in my life is now you know and so i i really i loved every aspect of that interview I, yeah, I love that he's bringing such beauty into activism. You know, like, I think people think of activism. I think of activism, sometimes I think of anger, you know, and like, I, sometimes I, I distance myself from that word because it feels I'm not someone particularly comfortable with anger. And so I'm like, what's the other, you know, I'm the second wave, the third wave. That's what I more identify with. But he's like the first wave and 
beautiful and heart-centered and even the bio that he sent us. So he sent, he's an award-winning writer, performer, cultural worker, fusing a non-traditional, multi-hyphenated professional identity to imagine new realities, empower communities, advance arts, and it goes on. This idea of multi-hyphenated professional identity, I've been like sitting with just that idea for a long time, just around like, you know, it took me as a white person, it took me a long time to even grasp when I think of all of my identities that white should be a pie in that pie chart. Like if you were to ask me in in college to say like, who are you, right? You know, a pie chart of your different identities. I would not put white in there. I don't even know that. So I think it's just, you're the beautiful person. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what came up for me when we went through that episode um, was how we started, you and I, Emily. When he said radical imagination, I remember we had a person with us and they were like, because of COVID, I think it's best for me to step away. And you were battling whether or not you should do the same thing. You know, just take care of your family, this and that. And at that time, I told you, I don't have the luxury to back away. I got to figure something out and I'm going to continue to work through this pandemic. And you, without even knowing, without even having this kind of connotation and we you radically imagine what it would look like to work with something someone like me and that experience came up for me when we talked about radically imagining what it could look like as we walk towards freedom what would it look like to address certain issues in your community i think every activist is always radically imagining life what life would look like if what they were addressing would be solved I feel like in that moment or in those moments before I came back and was like, yes, let's do something. It was actually the the knowledge that if I didn't do something, we would definitely continue to get the same thing that we've been getting for the last several hundred years. And I think it's through all of our episodes and working with you that my mind is now opening up to radical imagination, you know, to... A world. I've been posting all this stuff on social media about like, you know, just really looking at how white supremacy culture has affected me and my thinking and oppressive culture has been conditioned into me. And I think it's through kind of the steady drumbeat of our, our work together that I have been able to start to see something else. After he read his poem about Elijah McClain, you know, um, that poem. Oh, well, hold on. So we'll just play this clip now. One, the violin is not a simple instrument. It is maple and spruce and more. 70 pieces, a body, a soul, a neck. Two, Elijah was not a simple man. He was black and kind and more. Many pieces, a body, a soul, a neck. Three, carotid holds compress the arteries in the neck, resulting in unconsciousness. Four, research shows violinists have faster cognitive processing speeds than the average person. Maybe this is why, in that moment, Elijah tried reason, why he tried humanity, why he tried compassion, why he tried love, why he tried apologizing. Five, maybe Elijah was trying to string his words into a bow 
Maybe he thought he could slide that bow across the F-holes of the pig's ears. Maybe he believed their hearts were capable of resounding music. Maybe he thought for a second that the pigs would do their job and police the crime of their gross imagination. I couldn't help but feel happy, sad, upset, you know, ashamed. All of those emotions almost simultaneously because that poem elicited that. You know, we talked about when you when you see images of a black man, it's always a big, huge black man that looks threatening and and, and, and scary in the shadows. However, Elijah McClain was, was not that physically, you know? But he also brought in the strength of him as a musician, as an artist, and questioning why did he have to die that way? And then as a doctor to, to understand how the medical establishment played a role in that. And then if you're a lawyer, you think about how the the law found it fine for the acquittal of of the individuals. It's like so many systems failed Elijah McClain. And then he was able, Bobby was able to even show the 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 beauty in that. Um and so that's why it, it, it I I just it just came to me, you know, and like I had a renewed drive to continue to work hard to to change a, a culture to change a system to be the, the impetus for for said change so that the systems can stop failing people of color and start working for everyone in an equitable way you know and so just as I reflect that is just another reflection that I had to just to bring to life for me with that yeah have a okay unarticulated thoughts kind of bubbling up so as you were speaking, I was kind of thinking of like the intent versus impact idea. You know, I think people talk about it a lot in terms of uh, microaggressions, like doesn't matter white person what your intent was, this was the impact you had. And I think Elijah McLean's story is so interesting because he was such a gentle heart and so kind and sweet. And yet his intent didn't matter. The impact was, you know, on the police officers, which just as I'm seeing a black man in a mask. And then in thinking of that, I'm like, God, that makes me, <laughs> I don't know how to, I want to say this with the most respect to his family, but it's kind of crazy making that like, bec because he was so sweet in this moment, does that make him any, like, as, as opposed to, let's say a black man who was very, large and had a hoodie and maybe he had committed crimes in the past neither of them should be any more or less susceptible to this and it elijah's particular story as a gentle soul it, it does kind of evoke a different reaction than let's say someone who had a criminal background and that's that's really sad to feel you know like that they're i, I don't <laughs> it's making sense but no, this is the first time i'm articulating these thoughts so it's very ungrounded no. but uh i hope i'm making sense like people said all the time pain is relative you know poverty is relative this and that but justice shouldn't be relative justice justice uh, um, shouldn't be a thing that is given to some um and if it seems like this person deserves more justice they should get it as a human Everyone should get justice equitably across the board. So when you look at George Floyd and you look at 
all the the, the litany of, of black men and women that have died, you, you cannot say that they should have died. They should have lived. We should have noticed. We should have seen the humanity in this person. But because this person had made made some choices in their life, we should see humanity in this person. That is bullshit. Yeah, even like George Floyd. When I think about him, I know he was a father. I know he wrote a bad check. I don't know anything else about him. His story, his humanity, in my exposure, which is limited based on my sources, you know, it wasn't highlighted as much as Elijah McLean's story. Yeah. Which is yeah. interesting. Yeah. And so if you're in a hoodie or you're in a, a church suit, I don't care if you're going to work or you're going to the club. I don't care if you're going to college or you're going to a crack house. Everyone deserves the same amount of humanity. Now, there's consequences for everything we do, but we live, we, we say we live in a, in a society where you're, you're innocent until proven guilty. We, we say we, we believe in due process. And a lot of times that due process is not afforded to individuals that historically have been looked upon as less than, you know? And so I, I 100% understood everything you just said. Why is it that certain people are, are given, and, and, and it goes back to the media too, you know? Like the media has certain narratives based on certain things. They have certain agendas. And so what are we going to do to make sure that every living person is given the right to justice, we have to continue doing what we're doing right now, speaking truth to power. I want to point out too that I, you know, going back to our the original note that we said at the beginning of this conversation that you know this conversation is based on a relationship that we had. Want to like bring out the process that even in me being super inarticulate, you were able to keep giving me the benefit of the doubt because you knew where I was coming from. If you had not known me, that there's a lot of different ways that could have been misconstrued. And so, you know, like it's really important to have that, that relationship and that invitation to stay open to someone else and give them the benefit of the doubt before having Talking conversations about, that can go yeah. the wrong way. <laughs> so, shit. Talking about a little meta going, level. Yeah. <laughs> talk, talk about some shit going sideways, boy. That would have yeah, been... That could have happened. Ooh, ooh. Okay, this was something that has been sitting with me since listening to the episode. Um, I'm going to sh- show you all another... Uh, li- We're going to play another... <laughs> We're going to play another clip where Bobby is talking about language and... And the use of language. Yeah, I mean, I think if we're looking at the way the population is shifting, right? Like we have mm-hmm. to remember that like the global majority is not white. You know, the, the global majority is made up of, of brown people all over the world. And so part of it is a shift in language. It's a shift in in decentering, I guess, even US politics because in geopolitics, because I think that for those of us who live here, of course, we're gonna talk about that. But if we look at ourselves as global citizens, if we make connections to our indigenous roots throughout the Americas here as, you know, Mexican-American, if if Black folks make connection to African countries and the continent of Africa and, and realizing that we have kinship there, we are not a minority, right? And so the language that's used to describe us often was intentional. And if we start to reshape language, if we start mm-hmm. to center you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color, if we start to use terms like the global majority, we start to shift the ideas that whiteness is the norm. And 
there is some unlearning that has to be done in that because it's so embedded, especially in this on these lands that were were colonized and, and there was a, an immediate power differential that was created. Language is intentional. This is where, where I've been like chewing on this for a while now. Courtney, I don't know if you know this, but <laughs> I'm not white. My skin color is not actually white. Like if you were an artist and you were to draw my skin color, you would not use the color white. You would use pink, orange, peach, uh, I don't know, like little red to create my skin color. And I've just been thinking about how intentional the word white is because it creates, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but it like, it creates this spectrum of white to black of like purity and light to all the other colors. And if you just called me like my race taupe, right? Like we're the light tan race or something. It would not put us on this, this spectrum. And it like that even the word white reinforces this notion of manifest destiny, right? Of like, of reinforces like what missionaries have gone and done all over the world is like bringing the light. And it just, it was a weaponized form of language. Yeah. Um, huh. Language is, is is a part of culture. And once you take someone's language and culture away, you, you own them now. You take someone's language and you say, look, you no longer speak Spanish. Speak English. You no longer speak your, your, your African um, language. You're now in America. We own you. We, you need to speak the king's English. You know, everything was by design. You know, poverty is by design. Now, because poverty is just a lack of. So if you think about language, you had now... If you're being subjugated, if you're being oppressed, you have a lack of understanding of your own language. So you are an outcast in a land that all you know for generations is America. So when people are here and they say, I am African-American, they are low-key neither African or American. <laughs> like that that's the craziest shit like so they're not american because they don't know anything about this land because they were brought here and not able to be free enough to be educated on where they were they were brought here by force they were enslaved here and they're not african because for generations they haven't been in africa right and they can't speak the language anymore and they've been disconnected from that i think about um the language in kiribati where i did the peace corps they didn't name race. They didn't name color in the same way. And they call people from Kiribati, e Kiribati, like from Kiribati. They call people like me, e Matang, from another person from another planet. <laughs> and that's for all foreigners, you know, like all foreigners are e Matangs. And <laughs> a language completely shapes how we organize the world and and shape the world. Um, I love this idea of global majority, like in, you know, using that interchangeably with BIPOC that reshapes that changes things. When you have the construct of white, black, Brown, you know, it's like, because there's even um, some marginalizations as you progress down the color, color grid. You, know, you start at white. That's, that's all top. 
No, that's pure. That's clean. That's um, it's, it's not by the it's not by design. I mean, it's very much so by design. Why white people were called white because white is the color that represents cleanliness. It represents the best. It represents purity, like we said. And then as you go, you have light brown, brown, and then black. And then within a color, you have light skin, dark skin, um, browns. Like so, everything is just a scale of of power. Yeah. So language and how you articulate certain things is such a powerful thing, and that's why people get paid to speak because language and speech elicits certain emotions that makes everything real. That's why artists, entertainers. Singing and, and and speaking on certain and and hip hop and music, all they elicit certain emotions in us that's almost like intoxicating, you know. And so when when you if you're a white person and you and you see yeah white people wear the most powerful, you feel a sense of pride when you're doing shit, but wearing the skin that you're in, you know, because someone is so charismatic and such a great speaker and using language and, and wielding it and weaponizing language in such a way that you feel like you're on the right side of a war. You know, you got this other way. We got black people, you know. And so when we say something like black power, that's a lot. And that's not from Marvel comic books. No, no, that's <laughs> <laughs> not at all. That's the black Panthers. Yes, yes. <laughs> Oh, and I mean, I felt that when he read his poem, like I was like, I wasn't expected to feel all these emotions all of a <laughs> yeah. sudden. Like, I need a second. Like, this is, whoo, got to take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, as you know, did you have something else that you wanted to bring forth from his episode? I think we're going to we wrap it up, you know, and uh, um, I just want to say we spoke about the impossibility of radically imagining and Bobby and I both brought to the room the quote from Nelson Mandela that said uh, it's impossible until it happens you know and so as we just thinking about that yeah um, this DEI work this progress progressive work this equity for all it's impossible until it happens and then when it happens it's like okay now we are normalizing Justice. We're normalizing equity. We're normalizing liberation. And we're normalizing freedom. And we're making it weird to to allow poverty to, to, to perpetuate, to allow white supremacy to perpetuate. That's weird. That's not normal. And so until we normalize this fight towards progression, when I say fight, I'm not I'm not only I'm not talking about guns and shooting and killing. I'm talking about fighting in a way and using love as your your weapon. I think we haven't we we will never win until it's now trendy, it's now normal, whatever the hell normal is, for us to be f- truly free. It takes a leap of faith, right, to start fighting in a new direction and it takes like we've talked about today, it takes being, you know, putting new opinions out there and being okay with the backlash and staying true to yourself. And uh, maybe the question, you know, we can leave our listeners with today is just to sit with imagination. Like what, what is that? What does that world look like? And to imagine, like to actively imagine it on a daily basis, you know, what does it look like to live, to be an equitable workplace where, belonging is shared by everyone and to walk into a store and for it not to raise eyebrows for us to hang out together and yeah 
we'll leave us with this quote from him. And so I think for so long, um, we've been in a reactionary space. Let's react to all these things that are happening to us. Let's, let's react to the injustice. But if we focus our energy collectively toward abandoning those ways completely and not even allowing them to have that control over us, what does that freedom and play look like? You know, mm-hmm. obviously we, you know, capitalism and the way that our life's set up, we can't just detach completely until we create something new. But until we create something new, we can't detach from those things we're trying to escape. Thank you for joining today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. Please make sure if you like any episodes, share them around, uh, follow us, and uh, join the conversation. Yes, let's get it. This is the conversation that's happening right now. This should be the only conversation that we're having across the, the world. So the Humanized Podcast, coming to an eardrum near you. Much love. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.